Welcome to Good Sex at NYU, a podcast about sex, relationships, health, and mental health in a sex-positive space. So if you're looking for sometimes serious, sometimes funny, and always sex-positive discussions, then you're in the right place. I'm Danielle Elliman, Associate Director of Sexual and Relationship Respect Services at Counseling and Wellness Services. I use she, her pronouns. And I am April Fellers, a nurse and sexual health educator at the Student Health Center. I also use she, her pronouns. We are two white, cisgender, heterosexual, female-identifying clinicians, one with a medical background and the other with mental health experience, who seek to create a space that is inclusive of all identities, backgrounds, and perspectives. Activation warning. The contents of this podcast is about sex and relationships. The topics might be uncomfortable and awkward. But we hope that listeners will sit with their discomfort and consider new ideas and not judge others for their identities, their likes, and desires. The intention is for the conversation to be positive, but at times we may talk about harms, boundaries that were violated, and trauma that has occurred, which can be difficult for some listeners. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body, and if need be, turn off the podcast. Consider what your body and your mind needs to move through the reaction to difficult content. This could mean turning on a TV show, listening to music, calling a friend, going for a walk, or reaching out to Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999 or Safe Horizons at 1-800-621-4673. On our podcast today, we have Giselle Martin. Giselle is originally from El Paso, Texas, and then grew up predominantly in Maryland, They are a third-year student at NYU's College of Art and Science, studying art history as their major in digital design as a minor. Giselle is part of the Student Government Assembly as the Senator-at-Large for Underprivileged Gender Expansive Students. Giselle, would you like to share anything else with listeners about your background or why this topic is important to you? Um, My pronouns are they, he. As a trans-mask individual, I feel like just simply queer sex in general isn't talked about enough or is used in ways that aren't actually productive and honestly just growing up i knew the the netflix uh, lgbtq section by heart <laughs> and none of it was ever enough yeah and mm-hmm. especially that it's usually concentrates on gay male sex mm-hmm. rather than any lesbian sex or if they are it's always like the prototypes of older woman younger girl and she's married and she leaves her mm-hmm. husband for her or yeah the affair isn't enough and she just goes back to her roots so mm-hmm. i'm totally okay with being somebody that's also in their 20s and just exactly 20 at that and just someone that's talking about this in general yeah well that's great awesome. yeah. thank you for being here mm-hmm. can you tell us maybe one thing that you enjoy about being part of the nyu community i love that it's a place where it is implicitly more leftist or more liberal, and you'd have to, if anything, come out <laughs> as far right, which also is a little bit of a con because some people do tend to just mask and then revert to their all the ways as soon as they graduate or mm-hmm. when they're in private. But it's nice to know that implicitly it would be ridiculous for someone to say something racist, you know, and that would be the general public's opinion rather than having to be the only one in the room trying to convince everybody mm-hmm. why X, Y, Z is wrong or politically incorrect. Yeah, so feeling a little safer. Yeah, in space, for sure. Yeah, than maybe other other universities mm-hmm. or other places, and that it's so implicit that it should feel yeah. that safe. Yeah, definitely. That's great. So we have a set of questions that we would like to ask, but feel free to ask us any questions that you have, or turn any questions around on us that we're going to ask you, because we do want this to be a safe space. Yeah, no problem. So the first question is: What song gets you in the mood or makes you feel good about yourself? <laughs> Really lame, but <laughs> Trumpets by Jason Derulo. Mm, that's a good one. It's not lame. I think it's just his line of he's like, um, every time you moan, it sounds like violins mm. or like an orchestra. And I started off playing violin in like the second or third okay. grade. And I also really respect the violin specifically for being um, the first instrument that people were using in opera that they started heavily incorporating because it could mimic the sound of human crying mm. and wailing and like just the connotations it has with it and how much people were connected to it. Yeah. So then anything classical like that, it always like uh, piques my interest more. Mm. 
Yeah. That like doesn't that. sound lame at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. Especially since you have a connection to it from your past. Um, the Jason but, Derulo. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, you know, uh, fair. <laughs> um, is that something that like gets you in the mood or gets you confident or makes you feel confident or is there a it difference? It just makes me happy. Okay. And since it's specifically a song about sex and appreciating someone else's body, I do like that. Okay. It'll make me think about someone. Mm-hmm. Respect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you had a first crush or tell us about your first crush? Maybe a real person, a TV character, musician. My first crush, her name was Lauren. Um, I remember that I was in around like sixth grade. I mean, I had more crushes before that in elementary school, but she was like the first one that really stuck for a good long while. And she was on the soccer team. And I literally forgot this for so long, but her jersey number was uh, three. And, like, mm-hmm. I made so many passwords from that age with the <laughs> in it, and it took me so long to figure out why. And then mm-hmm. I remember it, and it was more mm-hmm. embarrassing. <laughs> but I bring her up as the first crush because I just spent a solid two years pining after her, and we were just good friends, just chill, good friends. And then in high school, around, like, junior year, I had a girlfriend myself who was, like, a two-year relationship, so I felt pretty fine just walking up to her because I would see her in the hallways and we would stay friendly. Um, just walking up to her and being like, you know I had a crush on you in middle school, right? Wow. And she was like, no. And I was like, ah. She had no idea. No. But, like, to me it was just, like, a little hee-hee-ha-ha. Like, mm-hmm. I never see you. I rarely see you. And I'm seeing you now. Why not? It's been so many years. And yeah. I felt like she would know that I wasn't hitting on her, you yeah. know, because of the relationship. And I didn't know this because, um, but because we weren't like actively talking as friends, but literally one of our mutual friends, Emily, was telling me later, like maybe like six months later, because I don't hang out with her either that much, but we just ran into each other on a ride home. And I was talking to her about that. She was like, you know, she brought that up to me and she was so like hurt that she didn't know because she considered you a best friend, you know, because she had just like transferred and she was so like internally hurt by it. And then mm-hmm. so like that conversation of mine. And then a year later, our senior year, she's flirting with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she tried to she tried to hit me up with um Maybe you weren't wrong. <laughs> so I just bring her up in mind because it's like, I'd like to think I took a process apart. <laughs> Reconsider. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that was just a very funny thing to me. It was just like, yeah. aw, you ended yeah. up wanting me back. Like, yeah. Too late. But like <laughs> a little bit. That felt very cathartic as like a little ending for like a sixth yeah. grade me. I was just going to ask how it felt to like share that. That's a big deal to mm-hmm. share. Not even to share, but to have her hitting on me mm-hmm. later. And a little bit. A little bit of a toxic thing. I did, because um, she was a twin. So everybody got five tickets for graduation um, each. So since they were twins, they got 10. Mm. And so I had been asking everybody if they had an extra ticket for graduation. Of course, they didn't. But I knew she would because she's a twin. <laughs> so I hit her up because we'd also had our um, our English class together that year. So it wasn't completely out of the normal. You know, like we were in each other's orbit enough. So I did ask her, I was like, can I have a graduation ticket? And I will trade it for you for a kiss. Oh, <laughs> so okay. it was like, and it's not like it was awesome. It wasn't. But it was just like, I'm going to do this for the bit a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it is a fun story that I am now sharing publicly. <laughs> Which well, I don't mind. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing. Um, I, we were, I was just going to ask you um, about your first kiss. So I'm assuming maybe that wasn't your first kiss. No. Can you share with us a little bit more about yeah. like, what your first kiss was? Who that was with? If you like to, you don't necessarily have to name names, but you can if you'd like. I doubt they'll ever listen to this. You guys can think it's a pseudonym. They're not. Yeah, they're fake names. But um, so this was with this girl, Jordan, and she was the first person that I had been uh, actually talking to um, Mm -hmm. ever that was a girl. And the reason why she intrigued me, because she was already very attractive to me, but it was just like I thought she was straight. But our first FaceTime call, she immediately asks me, do you think Taylor Swift's hot? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like... From just that being like a straight white woman in my, mm-hmm. uh, in, from my middle school. And she was a year younger than me. I was just very thrown off guard. I was like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, is this a sign? So she already yeah. immediately piqued my interest as like a possibility, you know, really wormed her way for that gay yearning. I was like, maybe there's a chance. Yeah. And there was. And we started talking. And I had spent all of that summer, though, I was in El Paso okay. with my grandparents, right, where I was originally from. So three months of just yearning, talking. Mm-hmm. And we hang out. And we actually do that whole that whole stereotypical bit of like 
wrestling turning into like her just hanging or actually me hanging over her and i was just staring like i absolutely did not move i refused to i was nervous and she said something really cute she was just like can i do something gay (laughs) and i was like yeah and then she kissed me it was a chaste enough kiss did not go for round two but i was just like because i was nervous i was like i'm good i'm good (laughs) like this has been filled for me and like honestly i say that with more fondness simply because she ended up just being a shitty person in general Mm. for those couple years afterwards and not even like necessarily shitty with me but it's just like you know what in retrospect i can appreciate that you were that sweet and accommodating considering how not awesome of a person Mm. you ended up being you know yeah that was a good experience Mm. Okay, well, I'm glad it was good. It sounds like there were some mixed feelings about who the person ended up being, but yeah. overall a good a good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You've talked a little bit about kind of a couple friends. It seems like both of these people, your first crush and, and this person you had a kiss with might have been friends first. Can you talk a little bit about like how, you know, in our culture, female friends can kind of get away with a little bit more um, sure. and kind of blurred lines and kind of how that, that was for you kind of growing up and wanting to have relationships but also wanting to have friends and mm. and kind of how that that was for you well i tend to be really good at getting people to open up with me and it's not even a flex it's just that i do think generally speaking my calm demeanor <laughs> and mm-hmm. my like truly nothing ever surprises me one of my best friends in high school was um a recovering heroin addict so it's like not only have i seen the absolute worst of the worst but it's like it doesn't phase me, nor do I judge it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened to you. Great. And we'll move on. So I feel like I was way more into this in high school. Now I cannot maintain a relationship for the life of me. <laughs> really bad at texting. But I used to just be really good at um, having super close friendships with people that were meaningful to me. But it was just like, you know, that meme that's like, have you ever realized that if you just stay silent and listen to people talk they think they know you really well and you're like really good friends which just like mm-hmm. i wasn't enjoying these people but i would, didn't have to like um like a one-way intimacy do mm-hmm. you get what i mean mm-hmm. so i bring that up as to say that i had a lot of close female friends that like w- were texting me every day and i was texting them back every day and it was definitely like in a, like i can only say this retrospectively but an emotional relationship mm-hmm. you know like yeah. if I was in a relationship where they were, that would de- I would definitely consider that an emotional affair. <laughs> like, just from, like, yeah. how often we were texting, what we were texting about. It didn't even have to be flirty. It was just, like, the dynamic of, like, someone that you're living life with almost, you know, and mm-hmm. you're depending on it and you're expressing some, so many things. Not like, you're their point person to go to things. So just having had so many experiences like that in high school, it was interesting to be specifically in the spot with somebody that I wanted. Because it was it would roll off my back with if it was mm-hmm. just like a friend. Mm-hmm. I really didn't mind. And I enjoyed those relationships. But when it came down to like, oh, this one girl, like it would feel very like oh, definitely a mistake of youth where you think that because something isn't like a sharp pain and it's more of like a numb one or a dull mm-hmm. one. You can just um, continue going with it. So it's like, that's where it was, where it's like, it did not hurt me that I was like friends with these people every day, mm-hmm. but it was an everyday thought of like, oh, like she didn't text me XYZ or like, I wonder if she hates me. And yeah. it's just like, why am I thinking that about a friend? You know, mm-hmm. obviously because I have some sort of feelings for you to a point. And sometimes yeah. I didn't realize it. And sometimes I definitely knew, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I feel like having, uh, being friends with straight women most of my life too, also being sort of a queer token in my high school mm. made me way more aware and cautious about being predatory to straight mm. women. Like I have like a huge thing about that, you know, yeah. like when I can figure out that someone's straight, I'll do a good amount of effort to make sure that they don't think I'm flirting with mm. them just mm-hmm. to like make sure that they're as comfortable with me as they are. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I keep that in mind just cause it's like, I don't want to be like the presence of like a, a straight guy to you you know what i mean mm-hmm. we have your guard up but yeah i will say that just because like they're women most women tend to be like as soon as they figure it out if you're if they're straight they're just like oh okay you know as yeah. soon as they figure out that i'm not interested in them they're very accepting just for being women and i will admit that men also and i think this is like a privilege of being more um mask appearing mm-hmm. <laughs> and like being more interested in like masculine things I get a lot of leeway with men, luckily. Like, I hardly ever am getting, like, treated misogynistically by men. Like, if anything, it's a lot of, like, uh, the misogynistic pet names. Like, honey or babe or baby. Mm-hmm. But, like, honestly, I'm very lucky to say that I've been catcalled maybe three times in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's just, like, an interesting thing in and of itself that I don't interest the male gender. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> it, also, it almost feels disrespectful, but I, I lavish in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... I mean, I, I think it's really important to to name some of those things, like the how how those gendered norms from so long ago still sort of impact us. And for you, like maybe you've benefited from mm-hmm. you know some of the you know gender fluidity, and so that's helpful for you. But it's still out there, and it's right. really upsetting that like other folks still have to like navigate that. And that you're so good about being concerned and considerate for those around you mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I don't want you to think that I'm being predatory, like. Right. You know, I wanted to make sure like the boundaries are really clear. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit more about how you learned about like your own personal boundaries from, you know, sexual boundaries to relationship, maybe even like other things like you talked about uh, texting challenges, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, some of those digital boundaries that we also sometimes struggle with. Like, where did you learn about um, how to set and implement boundaries? I feel like like most lessons in life, they're just learned retrospectively. And it is most of those things where it's like you will, you really will get the same lesson put in place in front of you until you choose a different thing. You know? mm-hmm. And so, I mean, with the trying not to be predatory, that was just like implicit. That was just kind of like survival, like social survival. Because I, you know, I did not want to be the person that they were saying, you too, she sent to me. A, out of my ego, because it's like... It's more annoying when someone thinks that you're into them when you are absolutely not (laughs) and that they're weirded out or grossed out. You know, it feels more offensive. It's like I can take it if it's true. (laughs) It's like maybe I was like maybe I did look at you too long. But I would say the locker room was also a big one where it's just like, dear God, I will avert my eyes. You know, I do not because it's a more vulnerable position where it was just like out of empathy. It's like. I do not want anyone even thinking that I'm looking at them because I know I would feel so grossed out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like um, caring about that more just because it's like people will talk regardless of if you're doing something worthy of it or not. But then like other boundaries that I've learned have just been through having really, I don't know, pungent life experiences. Mm-hmm. Like I fell in love for the first time about a year ago. And like ever since then, I have really just learned that uh, and it was also a polyamorous relationship. So mm-hmm. that one, honestly, has probably informed my, I don't know about boundaries, but my perception of connecting mm-hmm. with people. And so I'll go on a little polyamorous side chat. Please do. Because um, I it made me understand that if polyamory is just to say that, because I can, I totally understand why you come to the question of, well, why do you even call someone your partner, your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, if you are polyamorous? What is the point of a title? And to me, I landed on that question, and I was thinking about it, and it's like, well, that just says to everybody else, and to me, that it's like, there is absolutely nothing keeping me in this relationship other than the fact that I want to call you my partner. I have mm-hmm. a good perimeter for it, where it's just like, if it would feel like less than or like weird for me to like introduce you to my friends and be like you're my friend you know if it feels Mm -hmm. like it's Mm -hmm. like no like that title does feel wrong it's like that's a good like pointer to the fact that it's like yeah you want to be in a relationship with this person when you're polyamorous because it's like they're not the only source of affection that you can go to or like the person you're dating so Mm -hmm. it's like this false scarcity that i appreciate that polyamory rejects and just Mm -hmm. being that it's like no you could get it anywhere else but i really appreciate that you are choosing me that like beyond the fact of everything it's like yeah no i still feel the absolute need to call you my partner and mm-hmm. that's what i could really respect about polyamory it was like you give me nothing in particular but i want you yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> and so then from there that's what made titles important because i feel like there's different arguments that polyamory comes into but mm-hmm. it's like why does a title matter done you know and then it was like um what's the point of it and how does it actually work so I felt like I had to redefine certain things in my head. Like, what does it mean to be attracted to somebody? Mm. And I realized, like, um, just seeing, like, people have healthy relationships with their family is, like, how I started off. Because mm. it's, like, it's literally been proven that, like, people do have vibes or, mm-hmm. like, a vibration, you know, and we respond to their physical presence and things like that and how much we enjoy people, right? So if that is not only true... And what does it mean to say that you like somebody, that you're attracted to somebody, what makes you want to spend time with them? It's that you're attracted to them. And so I started off with family because it was like, if I can say that you're attracted to your family and it's not in an incesty way, mm-hmm. then I totally understand polyamory, you know, because mm-hmm. it removes the distinction from platonic and romantic. And it just makes it all, generally speaking, 
attraction because it's like I was thinking about those people that like live in state and they go to college in the state and they still for some reason go home every weekend mm-hmm. just because they want to hang out with their mom or their little siblings and it's like oh that's a really good example of somebody wanting to be around somebody even though they don't have to because they enjoy them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. at the bottom line as weird as it may feel to say it you are attracted to them and your energy mm-hmm. and it is your family because it's like plenty of people just aren't or aren't interested yeah. in it so just realizing that's like oh i can totally accept and say fully and not in an ancestral way that you are attracted to your family you know it's like right i think we can distinguish between sexual attraction and just like i'm attracted to who you are as a right. person right like there doesn't have there can be different forms of attraction mm-hmm. so i like that you're naming that that like you can be attracted right. to people for different reasons and they can be your family too right mm-hmm. and it start that's why it started off with me with family because it's mm-hmm. like what is the difference between platonic and romantic and then it's like well there's also family and you know yeah. and like people that you're just close to inherently like even teachers or professors that yeah. you come back and talk to. So it was like, okay, went from there. Then automatically that totally rejects any sort of notion that there's a difference between platonic and romantic attraction. I see it all as attraction because polyamory was also super nice just for teaching me that it's like, you know what? I haven't been honest with myself. How many times have I been thinking of something but not fully processing it or recognizing it for what it was? And it's like I'm in the middle of having sex with someone and I'm just thinking, like, God, I wish we were just making out. Or, like, mm-hmm. God, I wish I didn't go here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know what? I would have probably been, like, so much happier with you <laughs> if mm-hmm. we just made out tonight. And then, like, I would be down to see you again. But it's like, now we're here. And honestly, I'm just waiting for you to leave. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's not even, like, a thing on them. It's just that, like, I was having sex with you when I wasn't ready to or mm-hmm. interested to. And I'm not even, again, thinking about it that way. But polyamory made it so much more pointed to realize, yeah. There are just people that it's like the intimacy I want with you mm-hmm. is honestly just to hold hands and cuddle mm-hmm. or the intimacy I want with you is just to make out mm-hmm. really and go yeah. on dates and like feel special with you like X, Y, Z. So like that's why I feel like polyamory like and I honestly I was in a polyamorous relationship. I can fully say that I'm monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> I have learned from that experience, but it it was very beautiful yeah. to learn that and experience it and to have to challenge myself to be okay with these concepts and again it's like i can still say that it's like i i know i'm not like the best version of me the most evolved version of me is polyamorous i'm not there yet maybe maybe the next but i think sometimes we have to try out our boundaries like sometimes we know for sure this is like a no Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes we have a little bit of flexibility and once we're in it we're like huh okay this is how i'm feeling Maybe it's not where I'm at yet. Yeah. Maybe it's an aspirational boundary and I'm not quite there yet. Like you're sort of saying like, oh, no, that's like ideal, but like maybe I'm not quite there yet. Right. Um, so, yeah. And so like it landed me on this boundary with like the sex and everything because I was in that polyamorous person relationship with the first person I had ever truly fallen in love with. Hmm. And, like, because um, it's, like, every time that I had been in, like, a significant relationship where I was saying I love them, it was still, like, I always knew, like, some little part of me was just, like, I don't think I actually am, though. I'm not getting that, like, movie star actual incredible feeling, although it's pretty high up there. It's, like, a good, like, 90, <laughs> if anything, you know, and it feels confusing to be, like, well, then what is it? I got it. <laughs> you know, so it was, like, being able to for sure for the first time ever say, like, no, 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 no. No one could ever take this from me. Not even my own mind. Like, even when I forget what it feels like to be in love with you, I know I can always remember that memory of being able to fully say, no, I'm so in love with this person. So that and having sex where I am actually making love with someone, as corny as it is, and mm-hmm. every song being absolutely right <laughs> in every book, and you understand why all these stories are written about it, it made me, along with all these lessons I just told you about, which helped inform it, it was just like, I don't want to be fucking everyone. Mm-hmm. I absolutely don't. And I deserve more. And, like, I have not been... I don't know, uh, as appreciative of how sacred your body is and how much that energy is and how much of an exchange of feelings and energy it is. And the fact that it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's really like heteronormative and super like nuclear family, American dynamic. But (laughs) it's like, they were right. You should wait until marriage. You should wait until you love someone. Like anything like that, it's just like it is always worth it to wait. And then I do want that emotional intimacy. And... I just celebrated breaking my 10-month celibacy <laughs> with my current partner. So okay. that was fun. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Okay. Yes. But yeah, I love celibacy. Yeah. I can go 
pretty long time without it. I really don't care. I don't think sex is a need. I think it's a want. I think mm-hmm. that's why masturbation is there. Mm-hmm. You know, you are enough for yourself. <laughs> well, right. And one of the things that April and I are talking a lot about in this podcast is having a full menu of what sex means, because I think sometimes we do conform to some of these social norms that says sex is one thing, whereas like sex can also be masturbation. Yeah. You know, sex can be some of those intimacy things that you're talking, a touch Yeah, that isn't necessarily to the genitals. It's like, you know, to the back of your neck, to Mm -hmm. the small of your back or cuddly, whatever that might be for you. That could also be like the kind of sex or intimacy that we're craving. Right. Um, So I think we just want to expand the menu of options. Like there's appetizers, there's, you know, (laughs) main course and maybe meal or maybe you just do the apps. Maybe you just, you know, like there's a whole bunch of different things we need to like expand that definition because I think society says, oh, it's penetration. We have to be penetrated or be the penetrator, you know, in order to have that be, you know, seen as sex. And so we want to like expand that. Yeah, I mean, like, on that note, the first person that kind of put in the seeds in a realistic way, you know, because you kind of dismiss, you grow up, you're dismissing all those thoughts about, ah, you should wait, because it does sound archaic, it does. <laughs> Fully admit that. But the first person that put the seed in my mind and made me really consider it because I cared about her was this girl, um, Vanessa. Um, she was the first person that I had hooked up with. We literally just made out for a long time. Um, <laughs> and she was the first person that I had ever had an experience with where I felt so badly that I wanted to call it sex, where it felt weird to be like, oh, yeah, and, and she doesn't count. You know, she's not on my list of bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, And that was a first feeling for me, you know, not even in like, oh, I wanted it for my ego. Just like, it feels weird to say mm-hmm. that we did not fuck. You know, <laughs> it was so intimate and for such a long time. And... You know, I appreciate her experience because it's like, I'm not ashamed to say she did cut me off because how close we did get to us having sex, you know, and she was on a really big like um, self journey and taking care of herself. She was actually trying to move to New York. This was a couple of years ago. And she was on a six month track of trying to get out of her parents' house and get mm-hmm. her shit together and things like that. And she was super um, spiritual and like Eastern medicine. So when she was talking to me, she was just like, I just like, it's nothing about you. It's the fact that. I feel so disappointed in myself that, like, I got so close to disrespecting myself Mm. and my own boundaries. And that, like, and this part did hurt me, this part, because she goes, yeah, I only like to have sex with people that I feel mentally, physically, and spiritually connected with. And I literally, for the first time ever in my, like, fuckboy self, was just like, what do you mean we're not spiritually connected? (laughs) Like, like, we stared at a butterfly on our first date and you told me it was a guardian. Like, what do you mean? Like, like, I feel totally connected with you. So, like, not only was that the first time, where it's just like, oddly enough, no penetration happened, but, like, this feels like sex to me. And not only was I hurt by somebody, literally, because other times I really would have been like, that's fine. I I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. But, like, it, it it fascinated me and made me respect her so much more that she felt wronged by her mm-hmm. own doing mm-hmm. and that it was just like, I just can't believe how close I was to having sex with you and how much I wanted it. Like, I'm not focusing on myself and I'm not focusing on my boundaries. And again, just that whole thing where like feeling those three types of connections with somebody and then a couple of years passed and then I meet the person I fell in love okay. with. So it was just like, that one was the one where like I thought about it. I was like, she was right. She's right. <laughs> and yeah. I'm on her side now. <laughs> well, I like that you're also modeling um, how to honor other people's boundaries because I think sometimes we feel really rejected and hurt and that can be really hard to do. And yeah. so like to to be able to take a no and to take a, you know, I get that. It hurts, but like I get it, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was the only thing that felt rude. I was like, are you serious? Right, right, right. <laughs> like, really? I felt connected. Yeah. And I think also what you said in terms of like, if she doesn't want to consider that sex, but you do, like, you can define what, what sex is for yourself. And, and I think that that also shows that you are now learning about yourself and your boundaries and, and that you are finding what's best for you. And I think that that's kind of the goal for everybody, right? Is to kind mm-hmm. of, find what's best for them. And you're saying that maybe some of these things you did in your past, you regret. I don't know. Regrets. I, I, if you think of them as regrets, that's fine. I think we're like, I think of them as growing edges or learning yeah. things, you know, like I, I try not to regret things in my past, but, but they do help us learn and they do help us grow. And I, I think it's so beautiful that, that you're sharing these experiences in ways that you've, you've grown and what you're learning and taking yeah. with you into the, the future. And I think that that's kind of the goal for all of us to kind of learn from what we do and, and to keep growing. 
Well, you mentioned polyamory. So I want to ask, like, what kind of relationship models did you grow up around and sort of surrounded by? And how did that that influence you and the sort of decisions that you've made? I mean, it sounds like you've had this one, you know, poly experience, but like, how, did you see those things around you growing up? And did they influence um, you no, in any way? No, actually, I don't think I ever saw any sort of like, even I don't think I've ever seen like a healthy display of like polyamory. If anything, it's like, here and there, like little scenes of like, oh, a swinger party. <laughs> but that's truly about it. Okay. If anything, I would say um, something that definitely does relate that I saw later in high school was the show Queer as Folk, the mm-hmm. early 2000s mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. That was definitely polyamorous in an unspoken way, mm-hmm. for sure, when you think about it and look yeah. at it. But also, I'd like to say that all of my experience are with the caveat of like, because it's like, honestly, I think my slut era is over. <laughs> sad about it and retrospectively thinking about it it's like yeah i had i was very lucky to have a queer youth Mm -hmm. you know like i did have a queer youth experience like i was having my first kiss like in the summer going into freshman year and i had a high school sweetheart and like Mm -hmm. we were well known and liked and i really hardly ever got hate crimed and like a southern adjacent state because mm-hmm. maryland is part of the mason dixic line mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. it cuts through maryland but like yeah. i was still underneath it like there was plenty of hicks mm-hmm. <laughs> plenty of those people but i was really fortunate to not experience too much trouble if anything it was like definitely annoyances or like grievances where just with just how straight the community was and having to navigate in ways that i shouldn't have to mm-hmm. and i hope for better but it was just like no all the browns in a southern state at my age and, like, when I grew up, I was very lucky. So it's just like, yeah, I'm 20 now. The slut phase is over. <laughs> like, well, you can also redefine what a slut phase is. Maybe a slut phase is with your monogamous partner and you're slutty in different ways with them, right? <laughs> like, so, fun. you know, yeah. keep an open mind about that. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. Just re- redefining that. But mm-hmm. um, That's true. Yeah. So you're talking about, like, you're growing up in Maryland. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what sex education was like and, you know, perhaps even what the mentality around sex was in your family, like what dominant messages that you sort of seen, heard, felt from like your family and maybe even, you know, society at the time? Well, I was raised Catholic. Like any good Catholic, I'm an atheist. (laughs) Oh, because I'm also Mexican, too. So it was the Mexican Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started throwing a fit. About going to church that my mom was like, okay, yeah. And she chilled out and stopped going to church, too. I think it was just out of laziness, and she had just gotten, like, separated enough from it. But um, I think they all just knew I was immediately gay. So if anything, it would be, like, here and there questions of, do you have a boyfriend? And then when I got older, it'd be like, the second question would be, like, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? <laughs> so that was nice. So they never really tried to mess with because it's like I, the answer was never yes, I have a boyfriend. So they were never having to hound me and be like, <gasps> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like being scandalized or trying to talk to me. But because um, I don't even know if my mom ever did have a sex talk with me, if I'm being honest. But I remember being in fifth grade. I had just transferred to school in Maryland because I went to elementary school in D.C. And um, they gave us a little booklet and it was like a little... Um, sex education booklet and we also got little trifold folders and everybody would put it at their desk so that people could have privacy okay isn't uh, and retrospectively hmm. that, that is nice of them and we got yeah. to just like read through the book and like by ourselves like see it and it did define sex and like had pictures too so like okay. that was like the first like an earliest sex education i ever had which was honestly the one that was m- the most informative because then the one in high school i'm super curious yeah like what it has in it and um it would show pictures of like um human genitalia mm-hmm. and like what sex is nothing about gay sex though i will say but it was all like straight stuff and it's like i can't even remember it that much then but i do remember talking about it with my friends after every says be like can you believe it looks like that (laughs) (laughs) um and things like that but yeah retrospectively that was definitely the nicest experience that i have and definitely pretty progressive of them (laughs) yeah did they actually have a conversation afterwards too or was it just kind of you do your own thing and then that's it we We had a conversation where the girls stayed in the room and the boys were sent out and i assume they had their own conversation but we talked about then about periods Mm -hmm. i don't think they talked to us about sex honestly i think they just gave us the book and let us read but then there was a lot of like a period talk that one was the one so that one was also helpful um but then in 
middle school, pretty regular sex class, sex like health. It was just called a health class. It wasn't sex education. And high school was the same thing. Like one class per like the whole thing. One class for middle school period. Mm-hmm. Not every year. And then one class from high school. But I took it as a senior, you know, just a semester. Mm-hmm. And I kept foregoing it. So it really wasn't that informative for me at that point. And yeah. it was pretty regular, regular, in my opinion. Nothing super impressive. But no, not once was anything ever brought up about queer sex other than, like, the faint whisper of HIV and AIDS. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So nothing about pleasure or... No. Okay. No. <clears throat> or dental dams. <laughs> I was going to ask yeah. if there was any talk about STIs or protection. Just condoms. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so would you say then that, like, in the context of your family that it was just not talked about uh, because you didn't have the sex talk with your mom. Like did anyone else aunts or uncles or anyone have like any, like, were you thinking, hearing about it? Like, Oh, like auntie, whatever. I'm thinking about my own personal, like, (laughs) you know, stories and stuff from my older sister. But I'm wondering like, if you had any of that. No, not really. I think because I think my mom was horrified when I told her that I knew it's yeah. Cause Mm -hmm. we did have the conversation and then it would be like, I don't know. I just felt super private when it came to my mom. Um, like, I refused to tell her things. It, just, it wasn't something that I was intrigued by. So, like, I remember, for example, because, like, again, I went to elementary school in D.C. And this one, it was fourth grade to eighth grade was the, was the school building's capacity. John Quincy Adams. Shout out. <laughs> I definitely don't think that they should be having eighth graders paired along with fourth graders, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because from eighth graders, I learned so much. I saw my first condom. Mm-hmm. Just on the floor. <laughs> um, and I learned, I remember this story about um, me learning what the, like, eating pussy symbol was, like, with your, mm-hmm. like, um, the V mm-hmm. over your mouth. And I remember I was walking home with my friend Alicia, and her mom was with us, and my mom was with us, and Alicia was telling her mom about it. And I was like, why? It's <laughs> a secret. Because <laughs> like, I knew what was something which is like, she doesn't need to know that I know that. Or like right. that I experienced that today, mm-hmm. and she was upset with me because she found she was like, "What did you also like?" I was like, "Yes," and she's like, "What were you gonna tell me?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> so very much so, how the relationship of like her knowing that I knew stuff and being slightly hurt about it, but then be like, ah, "Whatever," because also she was bad at filtering things. Like I was traumatized from watching Children of the Corn and The Ring when I was a child. Yeah, yes. right. Yeah, yes. and Jackie too. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I learned enough. If anything, it was like a close your eyes type of thing. And again, just because I was gay, they felt absolutely no real need. You know, if anything, it was like my mom still had like the respect boundaries. So it's like I got away easily with having any sort of girls over because it's like you could always be a friend. My mm-hmm. mom was really good at that of like mm-hmm. not making me feel like every single woman is like a potential girlfriend, but she's thinking it. So I can at least respect her because it's like she'll keep them on the radar. I feel like a girl's name has been coming up often enough that I'm bringing over. It's on her little mind, you know? Yeah. But until I say, this is my girlfriend, she'll let them sleep over. And I hate it that she'd be so strict about it. Because then it's like, I would just be hiding that as a relationship with them. Just because then she wouldn't let them sleep over. She's like, this is my hotel. I was like, I cannot get pregnant. She'd be like, I don't care. (laughs) She's like, it's the principle. That was going to be my question. Like, when they were asking you about, like, if you had a boyfriend, was it strictly because... If the answer was yes, then they would have had to talk to you about not getting pregnant. Like, do you think yeah, that, I think that so, was for the, sure? Yeah. So that because that was not that was not an option, then they were like, "Oh, well, you don't need to know anything else." Yeah. <laughs> well, they may not have known yeah. what else to sort of share, right? And right. I came out in eighth grade too, okay. and I also came out as a lesbian, so I think they were fine with that because I didn't realize that I was bi because I am bi, but mm-hmm. I have a leaning uh, towards a fives. So even now, just like, actually, now I more so do introduce myself as bi, but I feel like it just speaks for itself because mm-hmm. I do look more mask now. Like, I had um, long hair until January. But before then, I would just say gay, just as an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even usually say lesbian, actually, which I think probably speaks volumes to who I am now. <laughs> but no, gay just felt like a better umbrella term than lesbian. Yeah, whatever feels comfortable for you. Um, yeah. Would you say that, you know, you have learned... Um, communication from your family or from like, how, how did you learn about how to communicate who you are and in relationships? What kind of uh, communication skills have you developed and who did you learn them from? Mm, I feel like I learned them, if anything, just from experience with how, because it's like, I really would just tell them so little, like, <laughs> Um, none of my extended family knew about my high school sweetheart, which is like still to date the longest relationship I've been in of like two years. But it's like my mom knew and like loved her and my parents knew. So 
that was fine. There wasn't anybody really new and then that was like coming over until like that polyamorous relationship a while ago. And it's like honestly, it's like my mom's a nosy one. She's the instigator. <laughs> like, she's always she's like, Are you guys dating? Is that your girlfriend? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like she made it easier, but like honestly, I've never confronted the idea of like introducing someone to my family, you know, mm-hmm. like the whole family. Cause that would just be a lot. And also we're so broken up. Because it's like my mom's the only one that moved to the East Coast and everyone else is on the West Coast in either California or Arizona. Okay. So there's also no actual opportunities to be like, oh, yeah, we're all having like a Fourth of July barbecue and I want to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. So there is not a lot of communication, but some like occasional questioning, you know. Yeah. What would you say to your younger self if you could go back and when you were becoming sexually active or having sexual urges? Mm. Hmm. Definitely the the straight girl is never the right option. <laughs> and uh, it is just so much more worth it to wait, I suppose, and, like, wait to fall in love with somebody and have, like, emotional intimacy and to not get caught up by, like, I don't know what you think you're supposed to do, like, with the penetration stuff and things like that or, like being more open to what sex could be and like what sex is you know Mm -hmm. like having a sex therapist or something like that or Mm -hmm. not having as adult relationships that you are because i feel like i did have that a lot you know and i just didn't need to i should have just been fucking around as like a 16 year old and being dumb you know Mm -hmm. i feel like i was trying to grow up too fast Mm -hmm. yeah and how do your identities influence your perspective and views on sex and relationship well Kind of offensive, but I am a don't touch me top generally. Now, not really, because I'm, again, not a slut anymore. (laughs) But it's like, yeah, if I was going to go into that situation with women, because it's like, obviously, if I'm going to be having sex with a man, (laughs) like there is going to be penetration. But it's like, with women, if I didn't know them that well, I was a don't touch me top. Because it was just like, and this is the offensive part. It's just like, I don't want to risk being disappointed by having sex with a woman. Just like, no, I don't need Mm -hmm. this. I can just do you. And that's plenty fun for me. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's more fun than like, again, having you disappoint me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd rather you didn't. And so there's been that with how my identities have informed my experience. Cause it's like, also it's like a lot of the times, like I felt like I've been the elder for basically my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I've turned countless women. I've been countless of them's like first gay experience or like queer experience or like queerish relationship. I'm just really tired of that, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Of having to, like, teach someone that, like, no, I'm not okay with PDA. And that, like, it's not, and, like, it doesn't matter if, like, the crowd outside isn't staring at us. It matters about the people that are in the restaurant on the patio and the guy that's, like, "Eh, let's go follow them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it matters about the people that aren't making their presence known. Mm -hmm. And those are obviously the people that you are not aware of. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, those um, counterintuitive ways of self-defense and, like, living. So, it's just, like, it did make me super um, frustrated with, like, my ability to connect with these people because it was just, like, I hadn't rarely come across someone that was, like, you know, again, this is not right to say, but, like, equally as gay as me, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. equally as queer, Mm -hmm. you know, and, like, understood those things. So... I don't know. It's always been really weird to feel like I was an elder since I was, like, in high school. You know, like, literally just being the only one. Yeah. And um, my birthday is on December 1st, which is a worldwide AIDS awareness day. Mm -hmm. And I do say, because it's, like, most of my, like, like, I feel like I've gone to some little voices here, like, oh, my God, you know? (laughs) And anytime I, um, not perform, but engage in sort of femininity like that, I'm always super okay with it because it never feels like I'm, quote, unquote, acting like a woman. It feels (laughs) like I'm being, I'm in touch with my gay man side. (laughs) Like, like, honestly, like, Mm -hmm. anything like that, it's just, like, to me, it feels gay it doesn't feel womanly yeah and so i have this little um don't take me too seriously but i have this little like a funny theory slash bit in my in my head that it's like maybe because that that is such a sign to a gay child and maybe born on not just like national but worldwide aids awareness day and like i bring this up because specifically like and because of being an elder and the fact that it's like why am i at 14, 19, 20, because I I really do feel the absolute absence of all those people whose voices have quite literally been buried. You know what I mean? And like that gen- that mm-hmm. entire generation of like 
lovely people that we saw and like one of the few things that's made me okay with like aging and like in like a fully okay way not just like yeah that's nice is the fact that it's like i want to be an old gay person i want to lean into every wrinkle because it's like that's like truly like a it's shown that I, it's a testimony to the fact that i have survived because mm-hmm. unfortunately that is what it is and it's not just for gay people it's for all people that are more i am so leaning into my uh now. <laughs> yeah like it's the only thing that's like again like not even like theoretically maybe okay with it. it's like fully actually like emotionally okay with the fact that i will be aging yeah. and like mm-hmm. leaning into my age because it's like i totally deserve to be somebody's like queer grandpa you know what i mean and um being that way and so my bit is that perhaps in a fast life i was one of those gay men you know what i mean that lost their lives to aids and i'm like this little gay man that's trapped inside (laughs) honestly because i feel like that is what i identify more than anything it's just being like a gay male Mm -hmm. and i think i would just be such an asshole if i was but (laughs) that's what got me trans (laughs) i think that's really beautiful and i think that the fact that you feel like you are older than you are. I mean, I guess I want to tell you, like, lean into your youth and you're not, you're not as old as you feel. But I also feel like you already have so much wisdom and you may not feel like you want to share that with other people. You may feel like you want to just be you for, for a while and, and that's okay too. But I think it's beautiful that you felt comfortable enough to be able to come out at such a young age where, you know, and, and so some other people are maybe just exploring coming out later and you're like, come on, catch up. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've, I've been here for, for so long. And so, yeah, I guess I just encourage you and, and as, as the future continues, do what feels right for you, whether yeah. that's just being young and you or, or being that, that person of, yeah, to have that wisdom. But I think you have a lot to offer this community. It's, it's quite clear. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Another question that's very similar is, um, how does power, privilege, and oppression play a role in your sexuality and how you engage in relationships? Well, so I'm Mexican, Mexican on both sides, like fully. I'm second generation. I can still track down my lineage from natives. Mm-hmm. And all this is to say that I'm completely white passing, like, mm-hmm. for sure. That's always felt like a very weird space for me, even from like when I was a child, because it's like always I would be like, damn, I'm white but not white but i don't want to cry white (laughs) and just all these things so it's like it's always been a weird space to even discuss with myself because i never even internally even as a child before like i was taught more things about um racism and progressiveness where it's just like it always felt wrong for me to mourn it and like good good on me like i'm not even like regretting that and the reason i that's like what kind of why i want to bring this up because white gay people and white trans people do need to learn that Mm -hmm. like you are still receiving so much privilege Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and that it's like you can be okay with like the con the topic even internally like uh, like uh, uncomfortable with it and uncomfortable talking about it with yourself because it feels like giving it too much attention like oh i'm super upset that like I don't get like what would and the reason why this would be a thing on my mind all the time was because it made me sad that like cashiers would automatically talk to my mom in Spanish, but not me. Mm-hmm. And she is so white passing too, but apparently not. Like <laughs> you know, I'm getting my complexion from her. And so that would always be a thing. It was just like, why am I not recognizably part of my community that feels so homey? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, why do I have to? And it's like you feel the most rejection from that com- from your own mm. community and i don't know it's mm. like a similar statement for anybody that's mixed or white passing where you have to convince the people that are part of your culture that you are part of them mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that you guys have had at least similar experiences so it's like that's why it's like i'm willing to talk about it and risk getting canceled because it's like those feelings happen for a reason but i feel like it's more more important to at the end of the day always retain that discomfort you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because that discomfort will bring will keep you humble. <laughs> and I feel like that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. You know, I try not to be too sad about it or like annoyed with it and just to do more things that involve me with my culture, like listening to more of like my culture's music or eating with them or doing those things, honestly, because it's just like being white is never enough to cry about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I know mm-hmm. that you know, identities can be, you know, difficult to, to talk about and navigate. So, it, but it also influences us so much mm-hmm. in how we behave and how we interact with the world. So yeah. I appreciate you sharing. Um, so I'm curious, um, you mentioned before that, you know, sex isn't that important. It's more of a, a want versus a need, but 
you know, how important is sex in your life right now? And, you know, who are you talking about it with? Like, are, do you have like friends or a community that you constantly talk about it? Or is it something that you rarely talk about? Um, and something I'll talk about actually a lot because I'm always trying to convince people to be celibate because I feel like I just mm. see that mistake all the time of just people having sex with either people from their past because it's comfortable and that it's somebody to fall back into and it's like them not wanting to go out and explore New York or something or like having sex too soon or things like that. We're just like, no, you'll honest to God have just so much more fun, you know, and it's something that I've been bonding with people about because it's like more and more people in our generation like. Especially the men in my life have surprised me with it because I'll just be like, yeah, dude, I was just realizing, which is like, sex sucks, you know, like you don't have like a connection with someone. It is just boring, you know, so that's something that I'll be talking about a lot. But sex right now in my life, because I'm currently in a relationship, it is pretty important to me because it's like kissing feels like another language, you know what I mean? Where you're communicating and you're engaging, but it's Mm -hmm. like clearly nonverbal and it's like sex really does like especially when you are genuinely like so in love with someone it is just such a way to connect and that's why i think it's like sex should be imported to you for something that imported either in the way where it's just like i'm holding the sacred and i'm going to limit this xyz or i'm holding the sacred and i'm going to fuck myself every night because <laughs> that's the counts and that's important to me and it's an important like stress reliever Yada, yada, yada. But I think especially in a relationship, it's super important because it is just another way of connecting. And I do think that, like, bed death is real in terms of, like, how it does, like, inform your relationship. That is until you're older because it's, like, genuinely, if you're in a relationship where it's, like, it's lasted over 40 years, it has been scientifically proven that it's, like, yeah, old people, they kind of lose interest in that sort of connection and affection. And it comes in different ways, you know, like that we're always there and that we're together and that it's, you know, and that um, that stamina does ge- genuinely lower. So it's like, that's where I can give you an exception. But <laughs> otherwise, it's like, I do think sex is a very important part of, like, your ability to, like, have a relationship with someone, period, mm-hmm. and, like, engage with them. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit that, that, you know, things in relationships, there can be an ebb and a flow of the physical intimacy. And, um, you know, that's natural as, as relationships progress. Right. One of the things that we talk about a lot in, in our podcast is sexual projects. And that's the reason why people have sex and engage in sex and celibacy can be also a form of a sexual project, which is something that you've, you've talked about. Some other projects might be to gain intimacy mm-hmm. or to gain experience, to have children, those kinds of things. Are there other types of sexual projects that you've had over the years that that you want to talk about having an orgasm with a partner Hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. because like this is the only thing that is actually personal to me or it's just like "Mm, i wouldn't just ask anybody but i feel like this happens to more people than they think about it's like i'm willing to share it um which is like i was just like for like every sexual partner i had had even with the one that i'd fallen in love with both of us had had the experience of not being able to have an orgasm Mm -hmm. with them and i asked my therapist about it and he's like all right i'm gonna be real with you i am not so studied in that area so i'm gonna refer to you to a sex therapist specifically but what that tells me is that you have an emotional block there's nothing wrong with you you're not on any sort of ssris that would like affect it it is clearly something emotional that's happening between the both of you so that like, just really, like, having that been told to me. And I never did follow up on the sex therapist because it was just, like, another boring white man. I was just like, I'd rather, <laughs> rather wait to find somebody else. And there is someone in New York that is a sex therapist. She's lovely. I think her first name's Casey. I can also give you a couple of folks, too. Oh, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, just that comment made me think about it where it's just like, yeah, that should be, like, super normal. I feel like mm-hmm. especially, like... SA victims should be mm-hmm. going to sex therapy. And obviously the goal doesn't have to be like, I want to have sex again. It's just like, think about the concept of sex. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like really re- reimagining that and like being told specifically that like it's an emotional block made me again, like really realize which is like, what is up? Like, <laughs> What is up that is making me feel this like sort of discomfort? Is it simply because it's like, I'm uncomfortable with my body or is it about like, 
and the fact that I'm thinking about it too hard mm-hmm. or is it about that like because um, I've heard somebody say that like the way that they masturbate and perceive sex like if um, they wear a trans mask and they're imagining that they have like a male appendage right mm-hmm. but then that the way that they're receiving it is so different that it yeah. creates kind of this cognitive dissonance you know and I was like mm-hmm. is it that is it something related to that and honestly that's sort of my sexual project of making myself orgasm <laughs> and like yeah. or, um, organizing just by myself at my leisure and things yeah. like that and realizing it's just like yeah. you know what maybe if toys are the only way to do it let's do it <laughs> yeah it's a good project to have and i mean we we talk a lot about how like orgasm shouldn't always be the goal right because pleasure is right. something that should be like on the menu too mm-hmm. but like if if that's something that like you really want to like know your body well enough to be able to engage and I think that's so yeah. important that has been the, yeah. the sexual project yeah. like um, I'm also saying this although it's personal because I hope other people try it yeah. put on some frequencies hold a crystal in your hand <laughs> set an intention <laughs> and go at it you know yeah. what I mean yeah I mean I think masturbation you know is for all and it is and a meditation yeah mm-hmm. yeah it mm-hmm. also has a lot so you talked about before health benefits um, yeah. including helping people sleep which is so hard when you're you know yeah. stressed and <laughs> going to class and working and all those things but so how do you take care of yourself like mental health physical health and sexual health um i've realized that although i do not enjoy per se waking up in the morning i am somebody that does deeply benefit from having a morning quote unquote to myself mm-hmm. before i do something and i learned this from just like two weeks where like i was getting up every day at like six or seven a.m and i was going to the skate park mm-hmm. where i knew there wouldn't be anyone there and just like staying there for like an hour or until somebody else showed up because i I was going there specifically because I'd be alone, you know. Mm-hmm. So just waking up so early for something else, which is, again, getting a skate park that was abandoned. Um, and again, it being so early in the morning just felt really refreshing. And it, it did help me for the morning. So trying to become more of an early person and okay. cooking for <laughs> myself and doing things like that. And honestly, I think everybody needs a hobby. I think watching Netflix is just escapism, even reading mm-hmm. a book. Counts as escapism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been told by my therapist. <laughs> um, so, honestly, the biggest thing that has helped me just become more of a person is just getting a hobby. Mm-hmm. Get two. <laughs> <laughs> Make it three. Um, I think having something for yourself really does just, like, ultimately make you feel so much better just, like, hum- as a human being and existing. Because it feels so weird mm-hmm. if somebody asks you, what do you like that is outside of, like, your regular nine to five and you have nothing to say other than perhaps some shows or, like, books in mind? Mm-hmm. There is something to say about that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about physical health? Thinking about... The healthcare system and knowing that oftentimes trans folks have a hard time engaging in the medical system. What has your experience been like? And have there been times where you've wanted to have conversations with the doctor or ask a doctor a question that you haven't felt comfortable asking them or having that kind of a conversation? Well, personally, I think I'm somebody that like um, will be completely satiated with just top surgery and no hormones for the rest of my life because it'll reach like a nice little happy compromise of like having what i want and not having to deal with the baggage of like honest to god just putting a needle in your ass every day it just sounds like too much work <laughs> that i'm interested in so that is to say that i haven't had to have any um conversations with a doctor or felt the need to have any conversations with them about specifically hormones because that would mm-hmm. be something that can start more immediately than top surgery mm-hmm. right but when I was inquiring around the summer, just because um, my grandma had cancer, breast cancer in 2009, went into remission, and then it came back mm. this year. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. I do have a heavy history of my family of breast cancer okay. on both of my mom's uh, paternal and maternal sides. So this summer, I was like, hmm. I know that insurances will cover a double mastectomy if it's for that purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a history, yeah. Right. And yeah. so I started at calling my insurance company. And so, like, this is what I mean, where it's, like, as a trans person that's informed it. I really, um, especially with, like, the Roe v. Wade stuff, have been super hesitant to put on any sort of legal document, um, mm-hmm. anything that would truly state any sort of inkling of transness, because if any sort of, like, handmaiden's tale thing comes out, mm-hmm. it's just, like... Anything that's, like, public record to them or is accessible to them, that does not make me comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, 
it's sad to say, but it's just like, I don't trust the government. I don't trust them even just knowing. <laughs> I really don't. Mm-hmm. So, um, even though it's Googleable, but whatever. <laughs> um, so when I would pose a question to her, really nice Southern lady. So she made me feel comfortable. You know Good. what I mean? Good. Um, their little accent is so cute. But she, um, I was just telling her, I was just like, hi, I have a history in my family, right? So I'm just curious, what would a voluntary one, you know? like, Because I understand mm-hmm. it if they're like, well, it's not a need. It's a one at this point. You know, it's borderline cosmetic purely. What would that be? How would you guys cover it? And she was like, yeah, yeah, we, we cover it. So that is into say. And then the part two, because I know that when you get just the double mastectomy, they don't do the masculine sculpting for um, your chest so i was asking and she was like yeah yeah and for any other uh follow-up things that are that are aesthetic for that go ahead and i had to phrase it to her to being like it's like yeah i don't know it's just like you know i've had i've I've got my whole life with them i would just like hate for it to just be completely flat like i would rather take little pecs than nothing (laughs) and you know she (laughs) laughed but like that isn't to say like another way where it's just like as a trans person I really had to hide it and I had to mm-hmm. think about it beforehand where it's just like how do I even just put this off to her just mm-hmm. like not a lowly but a lowly down the chain like mm-hmm. just customer service representative you right. know yeah. somebody that doesn't have necessarily power over me but it's like something that I do not trust especially mm-hmm. because it's like on a recorded phone call or things like that right. so yeah. it's like that's the only time I've ever had to like really like confront it, but I'm at least glad that like she she made it. She was like, yeah, no, you'd probably end up going away with it, only paying like six hundred dollars, you know, okay. maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, but I'm just so glad I went that route rather than trying to actually ask them, even just to ask what about yeah. top surgery, because mm-hmm. it's like I don't even want them to write anything down in their little note. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and then definitely. see me trying to scam the system later with like <laughs> just a double mastectomy. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you had a good response from that customer service person. Right, she might... seemed sad for me, yeah. but, yeah. <laughs> but well. she was like, "Oh, I get it." She's like, yeah. "Yeah, you definitely seem like you qualify." <laughs> yeah, good, good. So, our last question: What does good sex mean to you? Mm, good sex to me means that I felt connected to the person that I was with, and like mm-hmm. connected in like a super emotionally intimate way. You know what I mean? Where it's like. And that only matters that, like, you're inside of me or that, like, X, Y, Z and that we're doing this. But it matters that it's you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I'm a talker. I lo- I'm a looker, too. I love eye contact. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, like, speaking. So good sex to me just means that it's, like, we're both enjoying what's happening and that we are both super connected. Because I have had plenty of sex, which is, like, I would rather do anything but look you in the eyes right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or do things like that. Or I hate it when people are, like, quote-unquote, trying to act hot in front of me, which is, like, no, I'm just trying to get this thing done. It's, like, no, like, good sex to me means that, like, I feel genuine passion mm-hmm. right now. And it's, like, it sounds super intuitive, but, like, some people aren't doing it, including yeah. me. You know what I mean? I definitely wasn't for a long time. Like, I was saying that I valued sex, and to me, that also meant passion, but, like, clearly not. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much again for, for coming. I just really yeah, enjoyed you. these conversations. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of what you shared will resonate with, with folks. You know, there are parts of your story that I can relate to and parts that I don't, but I know that it will touch other other people that are listening. So thank you so much for being here. Are there places that people can find you if anybody wants to connect? Are you open to? No. That's fair. That's <laughs> but... fair. That's a boundary. Um... Fair. You can definitely find me if you try hard enough. If you just look up my name with the NYU thing, feel free, especially if you're part of the NYU community. I really am. I try to go to NYU's queer events, just generally speaking, because you do feel like a little politician. And it is nice to be able to actually look somebody in the eye and be like, I'm quite literally here just for you. Yeah. Anything that you feel that isn't sitting right with you. And I try to go for things. I try to remind a lot of people that it comes with the things that you don't think about could mm-hmm. be solved where it's like, you've grown around the problem of like a leaky faucet, which is like, you always have to turn it super to the right <laughs> just to turn it off completely. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really helpful and nice. So any sort of present like that, you can always just find my email and email me because I'm sure it's public. <laughs> but I will not make it easy enough to voice it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being in conversation with us today. Yeah, I hope any of these conversations help somebody or even just like help you change your mind about things, especially about the polyamory thing. Because it's like, 
I am fully okay with the fact that I'm monogamous, but it's just like I really needed that yeah. lesson and like with everything polyamory taught me that it's a really beautiful way of living. Mm-hmm. I am just not good enough for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope everyone takes uh, a lot away from this um, because I, I feel like a lot of what you said was really important and I think a lot of people will be able to connect to it. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you have questions about the podcast or anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at goodsex.podcast at nyu.edu. This email address is monitored during business hours and may take three to four days for follow-up. We are definitely open to critical and thoughtful feedback, as we didn't cover everything in this episode and might have said something that was inaccurate or that had a negative impact on someone. If you have questions about your sexual health and are an NYU student, you can connect with our Student Health Center sex expert at sexpert at nyu.edu or schedule an appointment through the Student Health Center portal. Look at our show notes for additional information and resources, including organizations, articles, books, and videos. If you have urgent mental health concerns, safety issues, or you are worried that someone might have caused harm to you or that you might have caused harm to someone, then you can contact NYU's Confidential Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999. Chat with them using their mobile app or email them at wellness.exchange at nyu.edu. For anyone... NYU or non-NYU listeners, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233, or the National Mental Health Hotline. Simply dial 988 from anywhere in the U.S. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode where we continue to talk about good sex at NYU. Subscribe to the podcast to hear all of our quickies and interviews with NYU community members. Thanks to our content contributors for this episode, Bernadette Kerr, Alyssa LaFosse, Dr. Dominic Viney-Amisa, Zoe Raguzios, and to our health promotion team, Anna Genova, Jenny Mellum, Parade Stone, and Arna Dixit, and to Gotham Studios and Karen Ortman. 